Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another conversation here on the Cattleman's Call podcast, an award-winning show, in fact. The Cattleman's Call podcast won podcast of the year at the Livestock Publication Council Awards session. So congrats to everyone, especially Sarah Drown, who is a part of the team that uh, lines everything out, keeps me in line. All I have to do is just host this and BS for a living. So I just want to give Sarah a shout out and all the team at NCBA and and congrats for uh, having this be the podcast of the year for the Livestock Publications Council. It's very exciting. And uh, we're going to have another outstanding conversation today. And, and, you know, we hear a lot about Bitcoin and uh, Bitcoin and cattle. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about here today. And actually, uh, joining us is someone familiar to NCBA and to the podcast, Jacqueline Wilson from Nebraska, joins us here today. She's been on the podcast in the past, uh, a member of NCBA, Nebraska cattleman, a great advocate for the cattle industry and the beef business. So Jacqueline, how are things going? We're actually recording this at the uh, summer business meeting for the cattle industry, cattle industry summer business meeting. Sorry, I kind of got the titles mixed up there. But how are things going here in the summer 2020? Well, it, it's been a great convention here so far. We'll, we'll kind of talk about that first. We actually just finished up our International Trade Committee meeting, currently serve as the chair of that, had some amazing speakers in. You know, when we talk about beef demand and, and the future, especially in terms of dealing with exports, looks phenomenal. So that's great. But, but you know, at the same time, there's a lot of issues going on, I think, right now with drought, um, some, you know, instability, uh, especially, you know, I think producers are seeing high input costs. So there's a lot of issues going on. And, and I think that's at the forefront of all the discussions here is trying to figure out ways that we can help producers and, and continue to make this industry so great. But congrats on the podcast. I know I love to listen to it when I'm driving across the country delivering <laughs> cattle. So it's one of my go-to. So I really appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you listening. And uh, obviously, they haven't kicked me off as host yet. So they can help my dreams of being a uh, a non-broke rancher, you know, some days as I call <laughs> Boy, myself. Boy, that would be a weird, weird dream to have when it is. <laughs> but, you know, uh, you've been on the show before, but maybe for uh, uh, an audience member that uh, is new to the podcast or, or hasn't uh, listened to all of our shows, which they should, they're all award-winning, obviously. But uh, <laughs> you know, t- tell us a little bit about your background there in Nebraska. And then, we'll, well, obviously, we're going to talk about direct-to-consumer, to the model that you have as well. And we'll talk about Bitcoin and all the... What things that I don't understand. That's why I'm excited to have this conversation. But l- let's talk about uh, being a part of uh, the Nebraska agriculture scene. Sure. So born and raised um, northeast of Lakeside, Nebraska, on the western edge of the Nebraska Sandhills. Um, our family operation was started in 1888. I'm currently the fifth generation that's back living and working on the operation. Um, I ranch with my dad, who also happens to be my best friend. So it works out great for for me, I, I sometimes think he rolls his eyes numerous times in a day having to work with me, but um, we get along great. We have a, a high percentage red Angus, red sim herd. We do long yearlings, calve, both have a spring and fall calving herd. We also got into direct-to-consumer cells and um, do a lot in terms of technology, whether it be with new and exciting um, technology stuff that's coming down the, down the chain, such as Bitcoin or NFTs or looking into programs like um, how to improve herd um, genetic growth with genomics. And, and so there's a, I think technology is one of the, the things that we really try to think outside the box on and implement a lot of new and exciting things that are coming down the pipeline. 
And at the same time, I, I'm hoping it's making us better producers, too. Yeah. Well, I, I'm excited about what we are going to be discussing here today because we hear these terms and sometimes, especially Bitcoin, it goes over my head. Mine, now, too, sometimes. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm excited uh, to, to really dive into this. But first, I would just like to thank the sponsor of today's uh, podcast, Beefmaster. Uh, for more on Beefmaster and what they provide uh, for livestock genetic possibilities, visit beefmasters.org. But uh, I know in our last podcast, Jack, when we talked about uh, one, one of your businesses uh, being uh, Flying Diamond Beef and uh, the partnerships that you have in that, what, what is the state of uh, Flying Diamond Beef and uh, how is it growing in the last few years, especially maybe uh, after even during COVID? How, how are things going on that direct uh, consumer model? It's been, Flying Diamond Beef has been a really interesting venture. Um, you know, we started the business myself and two girlfriends three years ago, but, you know, we had discussions on DTC programs over a decade ago and and talking about starting you know that homegrown home raised um, female owned business that was really promoting the industry and trying to share consumers tell consumers our story um, so three years ago we started it. it it went crazy it was right before covid mm-hmm. you know we we hit the ground running um, and then unfortunately a year into the business one of the partners was killed in an ATV accident really shook us up shook up the business um, so th- the second year, um, we were still moving products, still harvesting cattle, um, but you know we were dealing with the estate and working through estate issues and, and finally got those settled and figured out where we were at there. And so at the beginning of this year, we took the entire business on, on the ranch, um, bought freezer storage for the ranch. We have a 40-foot freezer right there mm-hmm. just uh, west of our shop. And so now selling out of there, but in terms of the product we are selling, we worked a lot on, um, we have a partnership deal with Neogen, so everything that we're selling in our DTC is genomic tested, but we're specifically selecting um, product based off of the tenderness gene alone, and it has to be in the upper third on that tenderness gene, and so it's really allowing us to to develop a consistent product, I feel. we're marketing throughout the U.S. We we do deliveries uh, around Nebraska and surrounding states, and then we also ship anywhere in the U.S., whether it be UPS or or um, Southwest Cargo. It's been a great great venture for me. Um, people ask all the time, "Is it worth it?" And I say, "Well, from a work perspective, no. It's it's extremely time consuming. There's so much thought and effort that goes into marketing, et cetera, et cetera. But the biggest Thing that it has done for our operation as a whole is it's made us better producers mm-hmm. um, and from not only the the ways that we have finishing out our livestock now but but the mindset on different things like antibiotic use or growth promotants or or how we interact with our feedlot um, that finishes our cattle out and so it's it's definitely has has changed our mindset as producers but at the same time it's constantly challenging challenging us to make sure that we're we're telling a story to those consumers that get our product and, and building those relationships. And so from that aspect, it's been very rewarding, but definitely definitely a lot of work and a lot of effort. You know, it always surprises me for a traditional cow-calf producer that uh, maybe struggles with having a repeat buyer or, you know, not maybe understanding the importance of having that ribeye, you know, quality uh, when it comes to grading. How, I guess, like you said, it changes your genetic selection and your finishing when you're, you're actually seeing what that beef looks like when it's harvested. What was that biggest moment like saying, oh, we can, we can make so, much, so many more improvements because we own it all the way through? 
I think one of the most satisfying stories to to me, and I tell this one often, because um, we also finish. We actually our DTC is such a small percentage of our of our overall marketing capacity, and so you know I still do finish cattle out. I deal. I still do sell live to the big four, and I actually sell live myself. I mean, I market those even though I finish finish at a bison feed yard, which is a little unique. Um, but I do the marketing to the big four. And I remember uh, we had been in the business for two years. I started putting cattle on feed here in the bison feed yard to finish out and sell to the big four. And my very first packer interaction that I had, um, I called one of the big four. I said, hey, you know, I've got cattle to show. Can you send an order buyer out? And I had been analyzing. I'm a, I'm a data freak. Mm-hmm. And I've been analyzing data for, for the last two years on our DTC. And the order buyer comes out, and he was, he was about ready to retire. And so he'd been doing this a very long time. And I first off, I said, hey, would you give me a call when you're heading out to the feedlot, and I'll meet you out there so I can, you know, walk through these. I want to, of course, learn from that individual and, and, I, and get his insight, too, because that's important to me. And about a week later, he called me one day and said, hey, I got out to the lot to look at those cattle. And first off, I was a little perturbed because I, like, I thought I told you to call me. Mm-hmm. And then second, he's like, I think they need another month. And I go, I think they're ready now. And he's like, well, no, I think they, I think they need another month. And I said, okay, well, you know, give me a shout in another month. So the following day, I called another one of the big four. And by the end of those weeks, those cattle were hanging. I mean, they, they wanted them and they wanted them now. We got the grid results back and the grid blew out of the water, um, you know, and it, it lined up with exactly what I was seeing. And that order buyer, he called a month later, the original one. And he goes, hey, do you still have those cattle on feed? And I said, actually, they were killed that same week. Mm-hmm. And I said, I got grid back. And he goes, well, how'd they do? And I told him and he just he was just I mean, dumbfounded with that. And I think but, you know, that was that was the thing. Our cattle are different than every than our neighbor's cattle or Mm -hmm. the cattle up the road or the cattle in a different state. But having that understanding of where our cattle at on an individual performance basis was huge. And like I said, it, I, it was really, I mean, I was really questioning myself up front until we got the data back to back it up. But I mean, that to me was such an eye opening experience for sure. Do you think part of that could have been too, that he, well, this, 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 this gal doesn't know what she's doing. Do you, <laughs> do you think that could have been it? Just, just having that prejudice towards a woman in agriculture? I, well, I'm serious. That's, that's a, a serious whole question. Other podcast no, there, I know. Like. I know. But I mean, do you think that could have been a part of well, it? Well, you know, I, I can probably say with, with pretty high confidence that that might've been his, his first female interaction of somebody with some, a mm-hmm. younger female trying to sell him cattle yeah. live out of a feedlot, especially a bison feed yard. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I, I'm hoping in the back of my mind, it was a learning experience for him too but i know for me personally it was a huge learning experience also well and again so many women in agriculture face that and and i take my hat off to all the women out there that are running operations and and saying hey i'm doing this respect me (laughs) (laughs) well i don't you know i i I appreciate how you look at it but i don't think i ever have to say to anybody here i hope you respect me instead i hope that my actions and it's it's always weird for coming from a man you know i i get that too but you just i there's i as i travel the countryside there's still so many operations out there where uh uh, women in agriculture just uh maybe aren't accepted into the family business and so i take my hat off to your family business and and the role model you are to so many young women in agriculture so thanks lane that means a lot and and you know i think i think really the credit has to go to my dad 
you know, because he's been willing to step aside and, and let me shine in areas that I excel at, which is definitely the technology, the, mm-hmm. the data and the cow herd management. And, and so, you know, if it wasn't for, for his open-mindedness, even though he's a multi-generational rancher too, you know, we wouldn't be in the position that we are today. And at the same time, it's highly encouraging because we know that we can continue on the ranch for future generations yeah. because of that open-mindedness. And I might not have been his first choice to come home and take over, but he, but I'm what he stuck with. It. So, so I mean, I think that's a, we have an excellent partnership. But I, I mean, it's definitely a, a team effort on yeah. both of our parts. Well, again, it's uh, exciting to hear how how especially that direct to consumer model is going. And I guess one question would be, what what are some things that you wish you would have done a little bit differently? <laughs> <laughs> and and kicking that off in in three four years I guess since since it was developed, what what would your advice be to someone that is that has been considered it? Maybe they're in the starting stages. What, what's a what's a bit of information that could save them a few weeks or months of uh, focusing on something that they shouldn't be? Well, I think you know there there has been more lessons that that myself and the business partners at the beginning learned, or even myself now by you know carrying on the business on on the ranch. And, but I think at the end of the day, the willingness to open and change it as challenges came up is definitely the, the biggest um, the biggest hurdle I think a, a new DTC program can overcome. And, you know, I constantly see these new DTC programs start up and, and people don't have this mindset yet of, hey, let's, let's focus on certain goals. You know, what is our goal for, for us, for instance, is that consistency of product because I want that consumer to have that same cut that looks the same, that's packaged the same, that tastes the same, that cuts the same each and every time. And that's been definitely one of the biggest challenges um, is to get that consistency. And, you know, you have to get that consistency based on how long those cattle are finished out, how those cattle were, were raised, you know, what weight those cattle are finished out at. And, and I see a lot of DTC programs that are, are going with, let's use our mature cow or our broken leg bull or, or cattle that we've kept on feed for four or five years, you know, and, and throw those in. But the problem is, is next time that consumer comes around, will mm-hmm. you have that consistency? And, and that to me is the biggest thing. And I think why we have so many repeat customers that we do is because we're really continuing to hone in on that consistency factor. Uh, I always love looking at uh, the for sale section under farm on Craigslist and <laughs> farm and garden, I guess, I guess is what it's called. And, and to see the people that'll, that will post like a high quality grass fed beef. Um, and it literally is a roping steer mm-hmm. and you can count the ribs. I mean, that's just how roping steers are. And I just think of that poor person that is looking at that thing. You know what? I want to buy local. I want to support a local rancher. And I'm not, cause I know people finish long longhorns or coriander, so I'm not I'm not shaming them, but just the fact that someone out there is maybe taking their team rope and steer and just putting it on grain for a little bit and selling it to consumer, that taste may not be what they're expecting to get, and it may turn them off from a product. And uh, I always kind of laugh when I see stuff like that on Craigslist, but it is important to be aware of. You're, you're absolutely spot on. And I mean, and I think that's the thing that we as as producers need to be aware of too. But we also, the other thing that I really foresee as an issue for producers is how they market that DTC cattle. You know, there's a lot of consumers out there that have been really confused with like marketing on a live weight, on a carcass weight basis, you know, on an individual cut basis, how those prices add up. Um, 
you know, I've I've done a lot of uh, I've attempted to do a lot of work just speaking to other producers. You know, I, I use a 60-40 method. I tell producers to use a 60-40 method if they're going to be, you know, focusing on on selling on carcass weight or, mm-hmm. or box weight or whatever they sell on. And, and it's just trying to clear up that messaging to make it easier for a consumer to understand. And I, and that's something that I think I continue to strive for, you know, with with flying diamond beef is just trying to clear up a lot of a lot of that confusion that consumer might have. But at the same time, I want them to feel open and welcome to come out to our operation at any time, participate in absolutely any activity that we have, and 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 to learn about what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing because we've been doing it a heck of a lot of time. But at the same time, we're not afraid to change it if it's going to improve it. Yeah. Well, and as, well, I just got dive bombed by a fly in here. Um, so, Get him some saber. He'll yes, be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when obviously you're looking at being innovative and ways to, to stay in business and stay profitable, and, and we said at the beginning we were going to talk a little bit about cryptocurrency. And like I said, crypto is still over my head. I've had people explain it to me, how it's mined, how it's shared, how people can make money. But when, when you mentioned an NFT, what is an NFT and uh, how did you discover what it is? So is it a non, Fungi- non-fungible, fungible, token. non-fungible, yep. token. non-fungible token? So when, when I hear that, I hear fungus. Uh, you know, right? Me too, when I initially did. Too. <laughs> so what is this? And then when did you first hear about it after, after we see what, what is an NFT? Well, so I think let me backtrack a little bit on the story here and kind of tell you how this all progressed into getting into NFT. So, you know, I mentioned before there was multiple partners in Flying Diamond Beef. Mm-hmm. One of the partners was my best is my best friend still to this day, even though we were in business together for, for two plus years, we still remain best friends. Um, and uh, she was she was working on a number of blockchain product projects. Um, you know, there's a lot of blockchain uh, interest, especially in the beef industry, and just providing another way of traceability. And so she was working on some of those projects, and he, she had been uh, approached by a company that actually was Wyoming-based about um, selling cattle NFTs. And so NFTs, what it is, is it's it's a digital asset. But it's a has its own unique identifier. So you can sell something as an NFT, and I mean you can sell anything. The biggest crazes, of course, are things like a a, a fake cat or or monkeys that live on a yacht. You know, and the different imageries or art. Or I mean, there's all these weird, crazy things out there that people are marketing as NFTs. But the the really at the end of the day, the the main thing about an NFT is it's unique. There's only one like it in the world, okay. and it can't be replaced with something else. So like, it's got a digital code. It's got a digital code. Okay. So when you talk about like um, things like Bitcoin, you can replace a Bitcoin with another Bitcoin, and, and I mean that's a fungible token. Mm-hmm. An NFT, you can't replace that with anything. And so this company in Wyoming had reached out to my business partner and said, "Hey, what do you think about trying to sell the first cattle in the world as NFTs. And so my business partner called me out of the blue one day and said, what do you think about this? And I said, I have no clue what you're even talking about. Mm -hmm. And of course, I had to pull out Google and Google all this stuff. And it still had no clue what she was talking about. But the, the biggest thing to me in the project that we did is the traceability aspect. And because what NFTs can do is they can provide an unrefutable um, proof that that product is what we say it is. So let me backtrack a little. So DTC programs, 
you know, there's a lot like exactly what you were saying. When you go on that sell page, you know, there's a lot of, of producers out there that are selling, saying they're selling home raised, ranch raised, grass fed, grass finished grain, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's all those there's all those titles around that product they're selling. But if a consumer actually thought about it, could they say and, and, and came up to that producer and say, Hey, you're say you're selling this. Can you prove it? Mm-hmm. And, and I had to think about that from a producer standpoint. If a consumer said that to me, I'd be like, well, yeah, you know, I have cattle records and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. But is that enough of a proof? And, and so what, what um, participating in this NFT project did is it gave um, our business without a shadow of a doubt and our consumers without a shadow of doubt, if they wanted to pay for it, we could prove it without a shadow of a doubt that this product was exactly the animal that we said it was and was raised exactly how we said it is with these parameters along the way. And that's what they were going to take home with them as a product. Mm-hmm. So not only were they, did they have the opportunity to purchase um, a token, that's how NFTs are sold as tokens, and a token on the animal, but in exchange, they were also um, going to receive the beef from that animal. So... Um, Hopefully that kind of explains it in a dumbed down version because NFTs, I think, you know, trying to grasp that concept of, of what NFTs are and how they fit in this weird technology yeah. digital world is, is definitely a challenge. I mean, it still is for me, too. Wow. There's a lot <laughs> that just got thrown at me. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I'm going to need to take a commercial break, Jacqueline, just to process this a little bit and, and uh, formulate my next question. But... I'm intrigued. So, hey, we are going to take a quick commercial break, uh, thanking our friends from Beefmaster for sponsoring today's program. We will be back talking about non-fungible tokens and learning more with Jacqueline Wilson right after this message. The Beefmaster excels in all maternal traits. They get bred easily, year in and year out. They make raising good calves look easy and possess excellent longevity, not breaking down in tough environments. Research shows the breed ranks above others for feed efficiency, one of the most important production traits. If your cow herd has lost its ability to adapt, maybe it's time to rebuild with proven Beefmaster females. Nothing beats a Beefmaster. Learn more about what the Beefmaster cow can do at beefmasters.org. Well, as we come back, I'm catching my breath and with, with all that was just thrown at me. It's hard to catch me off topic sometimes, but uh, understanding technology and, and blockchain can, can be quite overwhelming. And uh, Jacqueline Wilson joins us here today. And uh, we're, you, you, I, you did a good job explaining what an NFT was because it was still over my head before we even had this conversation. <laughs> So oh, thanks. <laughs> you talked about what, what kind of, uh, you gave us good examples that it's unique. There's only one of it. So let's talk about how you got into it and how you started to implement this. Sure. With with uh, your your uh, direct consumer program, yes, absolutely. So so like I minute, mentioned, we had the Wyoming company that reached out to us to talk about this, and so they had a partnership with a company in Australia called Livestock Labs, and Livestock Labs had developed this new, brand new implantable sensor. Um, it was about a three inch by one inch sensor that could go under the skin, of the neck of the animal. And it would give readings, you know, whether it be GPS um, locations, heart rate monitoring. um, They were hoping to get to the place where they could even examine rumination activity. Really? Yeah. So super cool. Super cool idea and thought process. 
Um, and so they were on board with sending, finding a producer here in the U.S., you know, that they could use um, kind of a test run on this, on this sensors. So the very first phone call we made was to our BQA advisor here in Nebraska and said, hey, you know, is this something that you think would fall under BQA protocol? Can we go ahead and, and do this? And, and they jumped on board and said, yep, this should all be fine. Um, so we got a hold of the vet and was going to ha- and had him come out on June 7th. This would have been a, a year ago, June 7th, and um, implant these sensors under the, in the neck of, of 20 feed yard steers. Um, how these 20 head of steers were selected is we went through all of our cattle on feed there at our background lot on the ranch, um, selected, oh my goodness, I think originally there was 45 that we took genomic samples on, tissue samples of, sent them down to Neogen's office there in, in Lincoln, and they went and tested them, um, did all the beef hygienity data on them, and then we selected those 20s based off that tenderness mm-hmm. gene. And that was those 20 that we kept aside for that project. So June 7th, we had a huge media day out at the ranch, had the, the vet come out, implant those sensors. Um, and then along with that, we had a company come in from Texas called Plain Sight. And what they did is they did the biometric algorithms on those steers, facial recognition. So they took... Um, they did a panorama of the face of that animal, did, did the different pixelization marks on it, and went ahead and put it into their program, too. And then we tokenized those steers that day through a, through a uh, NFT program. So um, we followed those steers all the way to finish. They were harvested in December. And then we worked specifically with a plant that we used, which was based a USDA plant that was based in Torrington to make sure that we were able to recover those sensors, that they didn't end up in any food chain supply or anything like that, because that was a huge, huge concern of of mine specifically. Um, And then we went and had a company that was in Denver called uh, Merkel Mountain. And so they got on board in the project too, because what, what we found out is we needed an in guy or in company that could come in and say, hey, anybody who wanted to buy these NFTs, you can buy them either with US dollars or you can buy them with cryptocurrency. Um, at that time, the crypto market was a little bit better you know, than it is right now. I think it was down another 4% today on <laughs> um, Ethereum, but you know, they, could, they could buy it with, with Bitcoin you know, or, or crypto. And then in exchange, what they could do, that company could take that crypto, turn it into US dollars and mm-hmm. transfer it into our bank account. So then we had these cattle on our on our website for people to purchase, uh, you know, flyingdiamondbeef.com, and they could go in and, and purchase these tokens. But unlike some NFTs where you just purchase a token, you actually got product, and and so it was, it was a really neat venture. Um, and I think the reason it was so neat is because, of course, it was something outside the box. Was it successful? was semi-successful because we learned a lot from it. I think it's definitely a, a new emerging tech, technology area that's going to become more prevalent, especially in terms of traceability. Um, is, the, is the industry ready for something like this right now? I think we're a little ahead of the curve. Yeah. But surprisingly, the, the, biggest, the biggest response and interest that we've got on it and, and the speaking engagements afterwards have really been in the finance industry. The banks are all over this. Um, they are, are very intrigued with the idea both of blockchain and NFTs. And the reason being is, is if you think about it in this aspect, um, I mean, I'm a rancher. Of course, I have an operating note. You know, I go in, I renew that note. You know, I have to say exactly what I have, yep. you know, for assets. And my banker usually comes out and he'll look around and make sure I'm saying there is what I say there is. But 
what's prevent me from driving around the hill twice? Yeah. You know, or, yeah. or giving them a falsified number. And, and so what pr- things like blockchain and NFTs would do would be able to say, okay, yes, they have what they say they have. And, and so, you know, then you start thinking in terms of, well, what does that do for credit availability or, you know, marketing transactions? Would we have fraudulent marketing transactions if we had, you know, proof that there was literally something there that they said there was? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of opportunity here. Um, I don't know if it's something that we're going to continue on at this point, but at the same time, you know, you can look back and say, hey, we were the first ranch in the entire world in western Nebraska, of all places, on the on this edge of the sand hills that, that stepped outside the box and did something new, and, and that's pretty cool. Now, when we look at this technology and how, how it evolves, and, you know, the more it evolves, the cheaper it probably becomes mm-hmm. to actually implement. So when there actually becomes more value for a producer, do you think we'll see more people develop? Maybe, maybe not exactly what you did, but will we see this help improve people's uh, cattle performance that results in good beef on a consumer's plate then? You know, you know, Lane, it's, we're probably going to open up a can of worms and I'm going to probably end up getting on a soapbox here in terms of producers. <laughs> but, you know, the progressive producers are going to appreciate something like this in the future, you know, because of the fact they're going to see a value add for this. Um, you know, they're going to see a value add, you know, when when we start thinking about bigger companies like Walmart, you know, Walmart's really concerned right now about verifying product. That's where it comes from, you know, exactly where they say it does mm-hmm. come from. And and so I think you're I think it's going to be pushed down from kind of the, you know, the distributions or the the end sellers of the product that producers are going to have to kind of step up their game. But at the same time, you know, when I when I go around the country and I talk about things like NFT and blockchains and whatnot, I'm I mean, I almost need to stop and say, hey, you know, maybe the first step we need to do as producers is how about we get everybody to at least just tag their calves, <laughs> you know, and let's start there. Because, I mean, you can't tell somebody that, hey, you need to start doing biometric algorithms on your cattle if you're not already tagging your animal, mm-hmm. you know, and so. I, I, I hope, I think your progressive producers, and I know a lot of progressive producers already that are looking into blockchain and getting into blockchain programs, um, you know, and, and, and they still, they, they have some unique directions that they're going with this. And I think it will continue on for sure. You know, one of the, whether it's this podcast or, or my personal podcast that I host, I always ask, how, how do we make an opportunity for young producers or producers of any age coming into this business without a lot of support, without maybe a bigger ranch signing a note for them to expand. Is this an opportunity for that smaller producer that's running maybe a hundred head, 150 head, 200 head to increase the value per head of those cattle or is it going to be cost prohibitive for a while? No, you know, and I think you hit it, you hit it on the nose right there for sure. And I I think one of the biggest things that we forget, you know, I I was of this mindset when I first came home from college, hey, bigger, 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 you know, let's, let's get bigger. Let's, let's get multiple operations going, you know, let's buy more cows or or continue to grow and expand our cow herd. And it's funny, I I don't know if I'm getting wiser, but some days I feel like maybe I am because now I'm like, Bigger is not the answer for our operation. We need to just continue to perfect what we're doing. 
And, and so there is such an opportunity out there for an increase in profit on these niche markets, you know, mm -hmm. whether it be things like DTC cells or, or, you know, blockchain or crypto or, or Bitcoin or traceability programs or whatever, there's, there's definitely a room for profitability out there for everybody from the per producer that has 20 head to somebody that has a thousand head or, you know, even including things like genomic testing in your program. And, and so I think that's going to be the biggest kicker is, and I think that's something that we're going to see with these young producers is they're going to have this technological mindset because, you know, an iPhone doesn't scare them. They do have, you know, I, mm -hmm. I was talking to a producer out here in the hallway today that still depends on his flip phone, you know, and, and his iPhone, in, uh, I thought of an iPhone intimidates him, but, you know, I think that's something these younger producers are just going to be willing to kind of take some, take some chances. And they're going to have to if they want to get into the industry and be sustainable, for sure. Now, could I ask, obviously, this is a very unique model, first in the world, as you mentioned. Uh, could I ask, what was it, what was the cost per head to do that? <laughs> and, and if you're not comfortable <laughs> sharing that, I understand. But like, because obviously, this is the first trial. Right. And I don't want to scare people off from progressive ideas that could make the money down the road. But obviously, you got to start somewhere. Right. And I think the key you said right there was trial. And and so this was not only the first trial for a producer, but it was the first trial for a number of these companies. And so at that time, you know, for us, it was an experimental program. There was really not an additional cost yep. associated with it at this time. And, and I think that's something that they're going to continue to have to work on is how can we make it price conducive to producers and, and what's that going to look like? And I know there's some um, specific blockchain programs out there that are already working on that. Um, but I think that's going to be the biggest thing. How can, you, how can you invest in something and expect to get the return and what's that return going to be? But I can tell you right now, you know, on a, on a per animal basis, what we were selling our NFTs for was significant above what we currently sell our non-NFT cattle for. So that was going to be my next question. What what was that feedback from those customers that were able to purchase exactly what they saw in front of them digitally well, and, and get that back? What what was the feedback overall? The feedback was actually surprisingly cool. Um, and, I, and the reason I said that is we had um, our, all of our buyers that we had of our NFT cattle were really into the technology industries, you know, whether it be the NFTs or crypto or whatnot. Um, they were excited of, of being able to purchase something that was so unique at this time. Um, but the biggest, I think personally, the biggest feedback for me that I, I took the, you know, I, I probably got a little excessively emotional about because, you know, you do invest so much into this industry is that they every single one that bought an NFT animal came back and said it was literally the best beef they've ever had. Mm -hmm. And and to me, that is so rewarding, you know, so rewarding because that's something we continue to strive for, but be able to get that feedback, you know, and, and there was one of the one of the companies that was involved in the project Plain Sight and they sent their CEO out from Texas and he actually works he, he works with a, a massive company in the industry, and I'm not going to say which one, but mm -hmm. we all know, we would all know the the company that he works with, and they do facial recognition for inventory control through a harvest facility, and he said this is the first time he's ever been out to a ranch, and to see the cattle handled like they were handled that day that we did the the um, media event. And, and to meet a rancher face to face and to drive out through the sand hills. And I, he says, this is, this is the part he was missing. And, and it was exciting. I mean, it was so neat to see just his eyes continue to be bigger and bigger and wonder mm -hmm. at, at what he was experiencing that not, Hey, 
not everything's CAFOs and not everything's packing facilities. You know, there's a whole other part of the supply chain that's really, really relevant, especially to the environment. So for our listeners uh, tuning into this conversation, where, where can they go to learn more about the trial that you participated in and maybe some of the coverage or some of the data that, that has been uh, put out about, about it? Um, there was a number, there was a number of media sources that picked it up everywhere from, you know, Yahoo Finance to Drovers. All they really need to do is, is Google um, Flying Diamond Beef and NFTs. Um, they can find articles about it online. We wrote a couple there. I, I mean, I, I write also for a couple ag publications. So talked about some of that trial in those. And yeah, and then even head over to our website at Flying Diamond Beef. Well, on, on another topic, uh, you recently uh, uh, traveled south, uh, just south of where you live, to Columbia recently with the Nebraska Department of Agriculture. Uh, what was that trade mission uh, about? Beef, because it's what's for dinner, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was, it was a really neat trade mission. Um, so Nebraska, this is kind of a, an interesting factoid for the day, but Nebraska is, largest, is actually the largest state exporter from the U.S. to Colombia. And, and so Colombia has become a, a real lucrative beef export market for us in, the, in Nebraska. Not only, not only beef, but pork. Um, popcorn, uh, I think wheat, you know, there's, there's a number of entities that, that we, that we export to Colombia. And so it was a, it was a really neat opportunity. You know, I've had the opportunity to travel quite a bit internationally. Um, I think I've got one continent left to visit, but, you know, to be able to go down there with our department of ag, um, our Lieutenant governor was along. We had some great commodity and, you know, and association membership leadership that went, and what the biggest takeaway that I got is we, we were able to attend Almatech. And Almatech is this huge, huge, it's one of the largest trade shows in Latin America mm-hmm. that talks about like retail, hospitality, distribution of, of product. And, and you know, I, I, get into, I get into checkoff debates all the time on social media, you know, and the relationship there between checkoff and NCBA. And, and you know, I, as a producer, I pay checkoff. And, and you know, this was the first time I, I, I was at this, this trade show, and, and USMEF had a booth there with the beef checkoff and also CAB. And I was walking around the trade show, and, and I went back because they, they had actually a culinary chef there from Latin America, and he was there. And I go back, and I get the translator that was traveling with us, and I said, could you come translate for me? So the translator was sitting right there next to me next to this cooking demonstration, and I hear this chef there from USMEF, and he's talking about all the family-owned ranches and farms in the U.S. and about how we focus on sustainability mm-hmm. and, and proper animal welfare and stuff. And I mean, and I've, like I said, I've traveled so many times, but to have to have somebody there from a different country that actually was representing me, um, it was huge. And it was such a, it, truthfully, I almost wanted to be like, yes, that's me, you know, that's me. But, but you know, I think the things that trade missions provide is the opportunity to, to meet people from other countries and to learn about other, other countries and, and the trials and tribulations they have. And, and it makes me so, so happy to not only be a, a, and proud to not only be a U.S. citizen, but being able to raise such a phenomenal product. I think that's becoming more and more well-respected overseas. And it's in part to a lot of the work of these other, of these other entities, you know, yep. because I'm, I can't do all the work by myself. You know, I, I ranch and, but there's a lot of people out there that are continuing to push our product yep. and that's huge. 
I think I was waving at you. I was flying back from like Argentina at the same time. I was on an ag mission down in Argentina uh, at the end of May, into June there. And actually I had a buddy uh, representing Montana Pulse Crops down down in Bogota at, at that same show that you were at, I believe. So. And let me let me guess, he probably spoke Spanish. What was his name? Weston? Yes, yeah. it was. And you know, I think everyone from our delegation was so extremely jealous because he was, he's as fluent as they come in Spanish and he was just talking up a storm with everybody and he always had a booth full of distribution. Yeah, he is the most uh, famous American in Central and South America, <laughs> Weston Merrill. He, so for, for our listeners, uh, Weston uh, is a ranch ranch kid and, and ranches and, and is the head of international marketing for the Montana Department of Agriculture. And we went down on an export, uh, uh, cattle genetics export mission to uh Argentina mm-hmm. with a group of Montana producers and I mean to have a cowboy and, and he's a tall guy and got his cowboy hat on speaks fluent Spanish and uh, to go down there I mean he's the biggest celebrity in the world oh he and, is and he was there too and it's so beneficial to have someone that speaks fluent Spanish that's not just an interpreter but understands livestock production because uh w- w- an interpreter would not understand when you have an Angus breeder asking, what's the scrotal circumference on that bull? Mm-hmm. I could see an interpreter being like, oh, that is inappropriate. I can't, you know. <laughs> but but then, so he literally, we flew back from Argentina, and then like three days later, he flew down to Bogota to, for, for that trade show. But he... He, he is a celebrity. And, and and the thing that I was impressed the most with him is is because he was about the only person in that whole trade show that had a cowboy hat and a belt buckle on. And I'm actually <laughs> heading to um, UK and Ireland here in about three weeks for another trade mission with our governor's office. And I'm so tempted to to pull the cowboy hat and the yeah. boots out and wear it the whole time because I'm like, well, if Weston can do it, I can too. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we could have stuck out in Argentina because uh, everyone was wearing their boinas. Yep. <laughs> and wearing our cowboy hats. And, uh, but he did, he did in Bogota. I he, mean, he, he definitely oh yeah. had a crowd no, every time. Oh, yeah. He, he, yeah, it was great. But, you know, at the same time, you, you have to appreciate people like him because he's there representing U.S. Yep. beef producers. And so good, yep. good job on behalf half of of their whole crew up in montana and all the other states that had boost down there i mean that was so neat to see no definitely so did you have a chance to talk about nfts with uh the clientele down in bogota yeah on a one-on-one basis you know and it was definitely in the bio that they had shared with all of the with all the different entities that we met with and and whatnot but you know we i was able to talk um a lot especially with some of the trade people that we were dealing with or the distribution companies and and I think that was it was it was really a different thought process than I think than they what they were currently um kind of used to mm-hmm. but I think for the most part it made sense um once you got into the discussion on it and it, it's just kind of exciting because it is different you know how do you think that technology like the nfts could impact trade in the future well, you know, it goes back, I, I, it really all goes back to to verifying product. And, you know, uh, it does provide a traceability aspect that is unique. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, you would lose some of the value of it if everyone did it. Mm-hmm. Because I, from a producer standpoint, I see, if, well, if everyone did it, what's really the value of it for, for our operation specifically? Um, but I, I do think it provides that, that uniqueness. Um, is it... Is it going to be something that I see happen maybe in five to 10 years? I don't know. But, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of potential there. But also, look when you look at animal disease traceability, what, uh, that impacts livestock genetics. 
as well worldwide and just the, the, the barriers that so many producers worldwide because there's good cattle genetics out there and we're all about improving our herds and genetic performance as well. That could play into as well with just having a clear ADT platform, do you think, and just mm-hmm. and being able to, to trade not only beef but genetics? Yeah, one of the interesting tours that we went on down there was an operation that, that had some oh, Akaushis, they had some Angus, and, and then they had a gentleman that came in that day that also raised some red Angus cattle, and you know, him and I got to visiting, and we actually use a lot of the same genetics. And I mean, how many hundreds upon hundreds of miles apart are we from Colombia? And I think that's what's so fascinating is, is, you know, there are progressive producers out there all over the world that are interested in improving their herds. And, you know, whether that be from a genomic standpoint or production standpoint or even a marketing standpoint. And, and so I think the, those that have the ability to look outside the box and think about some of those niche markets and, and not only how they fit into their production scale, but also, you know, what does it do to the consumer side of things? Um, there's definitely a lot of benefits there for sure. And, and that might be what it comes down to in terms of sustainability for the industry. It's going to be fascinating to see, especially now with the supply and demand like it is, you know, what's these next couple of years going to look like and how is technology going to um, affect that. But to me, and I say this time and time again, is we have to look at that technology factor. And the reason we do is because there are so many countries out there that are already looking at it. And I feel that there's some out there that are even further advanced than we are here in the U.S., you know. A lot of the partnership deals that we've been establishing have been with companies that are New Zealand or Australia based. Mm-hmm. And, and we need to make note of that, you know, so we don't get left behind. And so it's important. Well, and that was going to be my next question. You know, there, I always get asked, especially on that Argentina trip, they're like, well, why are you guys want Because obviously I was the media on it, but, uh, you know, I, I have Angus cattle and... Uh, it was just so interesting uh, to getting feedback from some producers saying, well, why are you guys wanting to export genetics down down to South America or, or why are we exporting beef? And I, I would always ask that question of the attendees that were, you know, black Angus and red Angus producers saying, so why, why are you interested in doing that? And their response always was because somebody else will fill that niche or we're going to fall behind in the opportunities. I guess what's your response to that? Yo, you're spot on. And, and, and how I relate that is not only from the producer standpoint, but, you know, I've had the opportunity to visit packing plants on five different continents. And, and the biggest thing that has always come back to me when I get asked, you know, about about the world beef industry and, and people go, you know, the U.S. is so far advanced. And I said, well, you should ask me where the cleanest packing plant I've ever been in. And it's been in China. It was a chicken poultrying, uh, poultry, poultry processing facility in China. Or, or if I get asked, where's the most technologically advanced one? I was like, it was Brisbane, Australia, you know. And, I, and uh, granted, I've been to a number of them here in the U.S. But we continually need to push push forward on that progressive chain. And, and, and you know, and I think sometimes, I unfortunately, I think producers are more concerned about where, you know, where input costs are just trying to make it year after year. And it would be great to set ourselves up as an industry where those aren't our focus. Instead, our focus can be thinking outside the box and maybe maybe challenging how our production models are. And and if we need to change them as producers do, you know, and, and not be afraid of that change. And, and I think we kind of have that thought in our mind, well, you know, our, our ancestor just did this the same way year after year. So we're going to continue to do this, but maybe if we start figuring out what is costing our operation and is there better ways to do it, maybe we can start breaking some of those barriers down for sure. 
And, and you talk about just seeing how different nations do things differently. And the, the marketing of livestock is a bit different in Argentina. And I, I did a story of their brand new livestock market that, that used to be right in the middle of Buenos Aires, a, a population of 14 million. They moved it out, I don't know, 50, 50 miles or so, maybe not that far. Um, but uh, it, it had been open two weeks and it was one facility and they had 46 livestock markets there. So your local livestock yard, wow. there's 46 of them here. And it was a direct to slaughter. So everything that came there were, was feeders, cold cows, slaughter bulls. They sold 8,000 head in three hours. And that's, you know, their, their whole, I mean, they, they have the upward capacity of 13 to 16,000 head. And it just looked like, it, it looked like a football stadium on Isn't the outside and you go and it was just all aluminum and they had the catwalks just like what you see in Australia yep. and they had the auctioneer on a golf cart banging on it. He had a little piece of rebar it looked like and he would be had a little speaker and just going along the way and those were all different livestock markets where they'd work with buyers and sellers and consigners. It was very impressive. I, I know that model most likely wouldn't work in the U.S. but it's an older model. Yeah, You, you it look is. at the, the Dodge City Fort Worth yep. Chicago that's how all the, the pens of cattle were sold was that, uh, you know, uh, show up, look at the pen and, and they, they do, the gauchos do a really good job of sorting the, the, the cattle, mm-hmm. like they're sorted really good, but you're buying per pen and then they weighed them after they were bought, which blew my <laughs> mind. But also it wasn't like, so, so the buyers couldn't go and pick cattle off either. They're buying it as is. And uh, we always joked like, oh, I don't think we could get the half the time you're waiting on the, those cow buyers to come in from their coffee break so the auction could get going after lunch. Yep. And, and, and all the attendees are like, I don't think the cattle buyers in Montana are tough enough to, to go, you know, wintertime or, you know, go out and have that outdoor <laughs> setting. But it, it was impressive to see. And, and again, is that applicable in the United States? No, we're too spread out. And obviously the center of the nation for Argentina mm-hmm. is Buenos Aires and the Buenos Aires province. But it was eye-opening. And to see how clean it was, because they flush it. Yep. They, it's all cement, and the waters they have in those pens, and they flush that, and all that, uh, uh, all the manure and everything goes into holding ponds, and that's used to power the facility. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's, there's there, there's so many progressive places like that all over the well, world. I don't think you can get that built in the United States. No, and I and that's just it. I think that's what makes the worldwide beef industry so unique is that every place is a little bit different. Whether it be you know, I mean, there is there is nothing that can compare to the U.S. On, in terms of in terms of harvest efficiency. Yep. You know, there's not. But and and we market different and we feed different compared to a different country. But you know, Argentina is different than New Zealand, who's different than Australia, who's definitely different than India. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think. But I think the more understanding we have of those other countries, you know, it, it's it, truthfully, the more I travel and the more the more farms and ranches I go to in other countries, it continues to make me f- smarter as a producer. And, and I think there's a real lack of that sometimes, you know, I mean, we get so focused on our own operations that, you know, heck forbid we think about what our neighbor's doing, but not only our neighbor, maybe the guy who's, who's across the pond somewhere. But no, you're, you're spot on. But yeah, it's it's fascinating for sure. I mean, some of the, some of the procedures and processes that, that I've come across overseas has been absolutely mind boggling. And, and some of them have been really, really neat. Yeah. Well, uh, again, th- this was a great conversation and uh, we kind of went, went off that <laughs> empty, <laughs> but, 
<laughs> I, as Jacqueline said, if you're interested in learning more about that NFT trial that uh, the ranch participated in, go check that out online. Google Flying Diamond Beef, uh, learn more about their model, uh, or go back to our last podcast. That I, I don't even know when we recorded that, but I can't even tell you what ago, the topic. I, I don't even know what the title was. <laughs> that just shows how many shows we do. No, um, of the award winning, the award winning, award winning Cattleman's Call podcast. <laughs> but and, and on that point, thank you to all of our listeners out there that put up with this host that you never know what he's going to say or go in the direction. Uh, we do appreciate you tuning in, subscribing, and make yeah, make sure and click that subscribe button and, and share the conversations we have here with uh, cattle producers just like Jacqueline Wilson. Uh, Jacqueline, thanks for joining us here in Reno. Thanks, Lane. I appreciate it. And, and thanks to all the producers out there that listening to this award-winning podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a big head, do I? My, my tiara didn't fit. Um, but again, thank you so much to everyone uh, for joining us here today, uh, learning about these emerging technologies that can hopefully add value to, to your beef operation down the road. I'm Lane Northland. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.